I'm not sure if anyone has told you lately, but you are beautiful. <laughs> Man, you guys are so beautiful to see. It's been since March the 8th, um, since we had some other worshipers in this room. Of course, um, ever since then, we've had many worshipers on in the virtual room, and you guys have been in that room most of the time. But, but so this is a comparison from last Sunday. Last Sunday, we had two or three tech folks that were here. We had the worship team up here in a chair right about there I was sitting, and I was worshiping had my hands up, and I was singing very badly, but fortunately it was just one voice, not many. My microphone was turned off, but it was just me and the tech and some worship team folks. This is so different. Those of you that can be here, those of you that are here today, so glad you're here. It, it, it's a powerful impact upon my heart and my soul having you in the room. Having said that, the, the bulk of us as the church are not in this room. The bulk of us are in this virtual room right now. And uh, the bulk of the harbor, I want to speak to you and say, so glad that you're here as well. Uh, I can't see you, but you can see me. Uh, bad haircut and all, or more accurately, no haircut and all, but you can see me. I, I'm glad that you're with us as well. And I know not just the harbor family, but even far beyond the Bay Area, even throughout the U.S., some of you are joining us right now. So glad you guys are here. Those of us that lived in Houston area in uh, 2008 went through Hurricane Ike. Now, because uh, Hurricane Harvey three years ago was so bad, one of the worst storms in U.S. history that Ike has largely forgotten, but not by some of us that were here. It was a formidable storm in its own right. It had sustained winds of 110 miles an hour, gusting to 130 miles an hour. It did $30 billion worth of damage, and it did $20,000 worth of damage to our home. It was a formidable storm. It hit... Uh, the Bolivar Peninsula directly, and it just devastated it. And there's this famous photograph of it that shows an area that previously had, had uh, beach homes as far as I could see. And this photo, which I want to show you, shows what was left after the storm came through. It, it shows this massive devastation and one beach home standing. You can Google uh, Bolivar Beach House Standing, and you will get all these pictures instantly then. And, and I've thought again and again, if I had been on Bolivar Peninsula during the storm, this was the place to be. Right? This was the place to take refuge, wasn't it? And if you or I would be on the Bolivar Peninsula again when the storm comes, I would suggest in advance you and I scope out that house, right? get to know the owners, become good friends of the owners, or learn how to pick a lock. I shouldn't say that, should I? But find a way. This, this was the place to take refuge in the storm. And so this is what I've found myself thinking about today and what I want to post to you. In times of trouble, where do you seek and find refuge? Where do you turn and find strength? In times of trouble, where do you seek and find refuge? Where do you turn and find strength? When we are engulfed by a global pandemic that is once again surging in the Bay Area, far beyond what we had ever hoped it might, when we're in the midst of this societal upheaval over racism and discrimination and so much violence going on, where do you turn? When the critical illness hits you or someone you love, where do you turn for refuge and strength in that time? When you lose the job, lose the career, when you experience financial devastation, when your long-held dreams are gone and they're shattered and left in pieces on the ground, where do you turn for refuge? Where do you turn for strength? in times of trouble. There's a, a psalm that has been a go-to psalm for me for a long time, and I think for some of you as well, it's Psalm 46. And in this psalm, the psalmist makes this, this powerful declaration of where he turns for refuge and strength, this powerful declaration. 
And, and I want you to, to listen to it. I want you to ponder it as I teach about it. And for some of you, what I would ask of you, because you've already affirmed this, you even go to this from time to time, I want you to be affirming with the psalmist be affirming with me. But some of you have never gone there before. And what I would urge you in times such as this, in this time, this very day, I would urge you to ponder the declaration of the psalmist and ponder if, as, as this service goes on, if you could declare as he has declared. So it begins, Psalm 46, verses one through three. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. He says, God is our refuge and strength. He doesn't say our financial resources are our refuge and strength. He doesn't say my great job security is my refuge and strength. He doesn't say my education is the refuge and strength. He doesn't say that the government is, although the government should serve all people well and equally. He doesn't say that's where I find refuge, strength. He doesn't even say, and I say this with great care but great truth, he doesn't even say my family. As wonderful as his family might have been, he doesn't even say my family is my source of refuge and strength. And I know he doesn't say any of those because each one of those can and will ultimately fail. When his needs are greatest, none of those have capacity to meet and sustain him through the difficulties that come. He says, God is our refuge, the God who made everything, the God who made me, the God of all power, of all love, of all righteousness and justice and grace. This is the one who is our refuge and strength. He is always, not most of the time, not, not the great majority. He is always ready to help in times of trouble. And then he spills out from that, that declaration just how bad the trouble might be. And he talks about earthquakes, and we don't have those here. They have those on the West Coast and other parts of the country as well. He talks about these earthquakes. We could imagine what it would be like in a bad earthquake. Talks about mountains falling into the sea. Those of us on the Gulf Coast can't picture that because we have to travel a few hundred miles to find a mountain. But maybe in our mind we kind of put the two together and imagine how horrific that would be. He talks about the ocean roaring that we can picture well. He's describing the worst circumstance. He's describing utter devastation, except, he says, God is our refuge and strength. And that's his declaration. And then he has these three things to know that would strengthen you and edify what it means for God to be your refuge and strength. And the first comes from verses four and five. It says this, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. A river brings joy to the city of our God. This is what he was talking about. This was Old Testament times, maybe 800, 900 years before Christ came. And in that time, God was using this very symbolically. This was the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was only important because that's where the temple was built. That's where God directed to have the temple to be built. And God said to his people, he said, I, I am always, I am everywhere always. But he said, this is the place, this is the spot where I will especially be found by you. In some special, intimate, remarkable way, when you're in the temple, that's where you can meet me above and beyond. I mean, this is the place I will especially show myself in the temple. And so the psalmist is speaking about this and saying, there's this river that brings joy into the city of our God, in other words, to Jerusalem, but specifically 
the reason Jerusalem matters is, is it brings it to the temple. This is where God has chosen to especially reside and show himself. There's this river of joy that is brought to that site. Now, we don't live, thankfully, in Old Testament times. We live on New Testament side. Jesus has come. He's been crucified on our behalf. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He's sent the Holy Spirit. So here's some really profound stuff that, that, that fleshes out what this would mean to you and me. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He's, he's writing to those who follow Jesus. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Followers of Jesus, all of you together. In other words, the church. Saying, don't you realize that the church, all of you that follow Jesus, are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? Now it's no longer a building in Jerusalem. He's saying, you, you actually are that building, the church. And I'm not talking just about the harbor. We are merely one very small local expression of the church. He's writing about the entire church around this globe the entire body of believers and followers of Jesus he's writing. He's saying that you know, that's where the Holy Spirit is. And, and that's where, if you go back to Psalms, that's, where, that's the city where a river will bring joy. That's the city that will be indestructible, the church. But it gets even sweeter than that. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And now he gets it really, really personally. He says, don't you realize, again, talking to one who follows Jesus, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Your body, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. This is that special place where God especially shows himself in you. And you are the temple of God. You are that city where a river brings joy. You are that city that is indestructible in the grand scheme of eternity. You are that city. You are where the Holy Spirit has chosen to re reside, and especially God shows himself within you. And then it gets even sweeter because Jesus fleshes out what that might feel like on the inside. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, it says, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, this great festival, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from their heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. So here's what's so significant about in God being our refuge and strength is that the Holy Spirit then lives in every follower of Jesus and is a river of living water bringing joy. Hey, this is the profound truth and message. If you follow Jesus, the Spirit lives in you. And he is this river of living water to bring you joy. In my own mind, and because of where we live, a lot of us, most of us in the local or virtual crowd, I think of the Frio River. It's about 100 miles west of San Antonio. It's in a pretty arid region of the state, much like Israel was a very arid region as well. And if you've been to the Frio River, then you know it's, it's, this, it's a spring-fed river. And it's always, it's clear and clean and cold and refreshing and life-giving, especially if you go there in, in seasons like summertime and you go there. Many of you have been there. And if you're camping at Garner State Park or some other place, you don't have a fancy deal with air conditioning and all that, which we never had. It gets brutally hot. In the Frio River, you would get in this river that it was this, it felt like this life-giving river, and it would bring joy. I have memories etched in my soul of getting into the Frio River, this life-giving river that brings joy. That is the image that 
that God is longing to paint in yours and my mind and heart and soul here. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, then he says, you're the, you're the temple, you're, you're where my spirit lives, and my spirit is this river of living water that brings joy. In the midst of, of all that we're going through now, yesterday morning I was up early. I was driving to the site here to do some work on today's message, and I think it was the, the cumulative weight of what we're going through now. It was the weight of the pandemic, which has taken this massive surge upward. I'm not even sure what that means for us next week and beyond, but huge kick upward. And then it's just the grief and sadness and sorrow and frustration about, about racism and discrimination and prejudice and violence and hatred and just on and on, feeling all of that. And, and then uh, all the isolation that we've had and and the problems and things I need to deal with and wrestle with, and some of them far beyond you know, my scope. And, and so I was driving here to uh, shape out this message of great hope. <laughs> and my hope meters on point one, maybe. And all of a sudden, I felt this joy. And, and I wasn't thinking about this. I just felt this joy. And, and it was so... Um, clear that I found myself asking, where did that come from? Duh. But where did that come from and why? And I, so I'm driving here going, I hope I'm paying attention to traffic and bicyclers and all that, but I'm driving, where did this come from? And then I felt God say, do you remember who's coming to your house today? Your four-year-old granddaughter's coming to your house for the first time in three and a half months today. You forgot that. Yeah, there's a lot of problems. You forgot that. Did you forget who will join you in the worship center tomorrow? Remember last week? I mean, you love those 12 people, but remember last week? Do you remember what will be there tomorrow in addition to this virtual crowd that goes beyond my imagination as well? And, and I was reminded that God was saying, whatever is going on in the, in the trials that you're dealing with, when troubles come, he's saying there's this river of living water that longs to bring joy to you. And there is always something to be joyful about. And I'm not trying to put a bandage over deep hurt and deep anguish and all that. I'm not suggesting that the Holy Spirit will always blow through all of the struggles we have and all the difficulty and all the emotional struggles. But sometimes he does because the truth is the Spirit is always there. And the Spirit is a river of living water that brings joy to us. God is our refuge and strength, and it's, it's vital to know and remember that for every follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in them. The Spirit that is a river of living water that brings joy. It's vital to remember that. Second thing is this. It's in verses 4 through 9. I'm sorry, 6 through 9. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come and see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, snaps the spear, burns the shields of fire. His voice thunders, the earth melts. The power displayed by God in those words, the power that he has. He's the Lord of heaven's armies. It says he brings destruction upon the world. When you read that in context of this chapter in the Bible entire, it means he brings destruction to all that is evil. To all that is not good, he brings destruction on everything that needs to go. He brings destruction upon it, and he breaks the bow, snaps the spear, burns the shields. He brings peace. He brings peace to this 
planet. And here's the key message, is that God will make all things right. He is our refuge and strength. And you need to know, he will make all things right. He'll make some things right now. He'll make some things right later. But in the end, he will make all things right. When you're going through, through the trials and the struggles, through the difficult times, and you know he's your refuge and strength, he will make all things right. And then one, one more final thought in verses 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. God is our refuge and strength, and our part begins with be still and know that I'm God. Our part begins with be still and know that I'm God. The Hebrew term that's translated be still means cease. It means stop. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, totally, totally come to a dead standstill. Stop. Cease everything. Cease. Be still and know, know, know that I am God. This is where refuge and strength is rooted. Being still and knowing that he is God. And doing this, being still before him and knowing he's God is this, this posture of humility. It's depending completely upon God. It's not my mind racing and thinking how I'll fix things, I'll solve things, what my role is. It's simply being still and knowing he's God. This humble posture of saying, God, if, I, if I'm to find any wisdom, it will be from you. Any direction, it'll be from you. Any peace, it'll be from you. Any courage, it'll be from you. Any success, it will be from you. I will, I will be still. I will know that you are God. This has been a go-to chapter for me for a long, long time. And yet I need reminders of it, especially this, this command, because I want to go, 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 and so do you. So this dear friend of mine, he's actually a brother, a few years back gave me a gift for uh, a birthday. And it's this uh, silver cross. Well, it, the color is silver. I hope it's not real silver because I don't guard it or protect or lock it up, but it's this cross. And it says, be still and know that I'm God. If you come to my office now, um, on my table, it sits there. Where it usually sits, it sits there. So a year later, because I hadn't made much progress on this, this friend knows me really well, he gave me a, a thermal cup. You know what it says? Be still and know that I'm God. And uh, he's too kind to press a third gift on me, but I realized about two years back, uh, no, a year and a half back, I need another reminder. So he got me this coffee cup. It simply says, be still, dot, dot, dot. I need to be reminded again and again and again, be still, be still, before everything, even before my prayers, my calling out, be still and know that I'm God. Now know this, Psalm 46.10 doesn't mean we're passive, but it is the foundation of God-led and God-empowered activity. If you're taking notes, let me say it again, let me say it slow. Psalm 46.10 doesn't mean we are passive but it is the foundation of God-led and God-powered activity. In Exodus chapter 14, it's the time when God is about to part the sea and the Israelites will go through it to safety. Uh, and Moses is standing there with the sea in front of him and the uh, Egyptian soldiers uh, crashing down upon them. And his command to the Israelite people is just stand still. 
Just watch what God's gonna do, stand still. And God says to him, what are you doing? (laughs) Hold up your staff and part the sea and tell them to move. God's saying, okay, there's a time to be still. There's a time to move as well. And you need to know what time you're in. You need to know what time you're in. It doesn't mean that we're passive to be still and know that I'm God. So last week I was, I was teaching about racism and discrimination and prejudice. And I was saying, I, I don't know all of the ways God might lead you or might lead me or might lead us as a church, but I do know four ways he would lead us. And I gave to you in this crowd, in the virtual crowd, I gave a 21-day challenge. And every bit, I gave four things, and every one of those needs to be preceded by being still and knowing, knowing he is God. The first step is is go deep, invite God, examine my heart, penetrate my heart, show me prejudice, discrimination, show me, show me how I fail to see people as you see them, show me. And, And before I begin to, that whole process, I need to be still and know he is God. And the second step is to go, go wide. And I said, in these 21 days, find someone whose experience is different than yours and maybe a different color of skin, maybe different socioeconomic, maybe you're not in law enforcement, so find a law enforcement officer. Maybe you're not in the judicial system, find someone in that system, but, but find someone whose story is different and ask and listen and learn and grow. But before you do that, you and I must be still first and know that he is God. The third is to love always, and before we can really truly love always, we have to be still first. We have to cease and know that he is God. And finally, the fourth thing is to pray fervently. Pray fervently for for yourself and for the harbor and the church in America and America and our leaders. But before you and I can even pray, we, we need to be still and know that he is God. When we've done that, then we're ready to pray as well. Our part begins with be still and know that I'm God. So let me ask you the question I opened with. In times of trouble, where do you seek and find refuge? Where do you turn and find strength? This is what the psalmist declared, and I declare it now, and I invite you silently or aloud as you choose to declare it as well. If this is what you would declare as well, God is our refuge and strength. And this is what we need to know about that. The Holy Spirit lives in every follower of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is a river of living water bringing joy. And God will make all things right. Some things now, some things later. He will make all things right. And our part in all this begins with be still and know that I'm God. This is where you and I can turn in hard times for refuge and for strength to God. Father in heaven, You are worthy of our turning in faith. You are worthy of our depending in faith upon you. You are, you are the one sure, certain refuge. And you are the one immeasurable strength. I I turn fresh again to you. And I invite all of those in this crowd, the, the room itself, the overflow room, the virtual crowd, I invite them to make the same declaration as well. I pray this with deep gratitude much anticipation, and much impact because we turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.